experienced or practiced with today in terms of this contact with the body, when we have sensation or when we, you know, we feel something on the skin. And then from that contact, the next movement of feeling. That's what I like to know, contact and feeling, because this is, in a way, what I would call the part of essentially of our experience or also of our daily life. We constantly come into contact with all kinds of things, inside ourselves, outside ourselves. And what do we do then? And to me, this is what the meditation very much is about, is actually to look at that point of contact and what happens. In terms of what I would call grasping and creative engagement, I think a lot of the time when we come in contact, immediately often we grasp, and that leads to often pain and suffering. When I think in a way meditation over time can help us to develop this attitude I would call of creative engagement. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. And in order to look at when there is contact feeling, is there grasping or not? Is it grasping or is it creative engagement? Because in a way, I feel the process of meditation is a process of de-grasping, of releasing. And I think, in a way, we can know it ourselves a little. When we sit in meditation, and I know, I mean, I was the same as everybody else. When I started to do meditation, I was always waiting for the special moment, something special to happen. Until one day I was doing a retreat on my own, three months on my own. And because I was on my own, then I was sitting in meditation and I would have lots of thought, you know, and I would sit, you know, trying to, what is this, what is this? And lots of thought. Then I would think, well, you know, this is not really working. Maybe I should do something more useful. So I would get, I got up from my cushion and then I thought I should read a Buddhist book. You know, at least, you know, I will learn something, you know, good for me. So I opened the book, and I could not read it. I could not. In a way, I felt I could not grasp at it. I could not, I could see, of course, the line and thing, but I could not grasp at it, so to speak. And that's when I realized that actually there was a deeper process to the meditation we did not really see so obviously, that de-grasping, releasing effect, which I often call, I know it's a bit strange, but I would call it the effect, the way we feel at the end of a meditation. Often, even if it was not, a, often if it's not a great meditation, we still feel something. And I think that's the reason we continue to meditate, even if not much happens, is because there is this, I feel this releasing, what I would call this de-grasping. Because in a way I feel a lot of our suffering comes from the grasping. And I think what is important to see that the grasping works in two ways. We grasp as much to something we want and like, to something we dislike. I think this is very important to see that rejection is as powerful a grasping as attraction. 
the same thing happen. And think of somebody you had some trouble with and you really dislike for whatever reason and notice they are in your mind all the time. You think of them. They did this. How could they do this? How dare they? They always do bad things. And yes, you know, and in a way they are in your head all the time. But they're not asked to be there. We, we bring them in all the time outside of the encounter by this negative grasping. So I think it's very important to see we grasp in these two ways, attraction and rejection. The same thing will happen. And what is the problem with it? I mean, some of you have seen my little tricks, but most of you are new to it, so I have to show it. So, and this is definitely the best way to demonstrate the grasping. So here, this, let's say, is a gold or diamond. And it's very precious to me. And it's mine. Or it's the greatest truth of the universe. Whatever it is mine. And because it's mine, I hold on to it. It's mine. So I grasp at it. It's precious. So I do this. And if I do this any length of time, what happens? Two things. First, I get a cramp in the arm. And this is, I think, where the stress in our life, a lot of it comes from the tension from grasping. Then the second problem, which I think is much worse, is I cannot use my hand. I am limited by what I grasp at. That, I think, is, is the main point, I think, of the, the, the pain we have when we reduce ourselves to what we grasp at. So you could say, what is the solution? One solution is to cut the hand. Then there is no grasping. <laughs> but this is a little drastic, isn't it? I would not recommend it myself. There's some spiritual path goes that way, the ascetic path. Then the other solution could be to get rid of the object. If there is no object, I won't grasp at it. But I don't think the, the problem is object. I mean, the object doesn't say, come, 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 you don't grasp at me. You have the feeling it calls out to you, especially if you... I don't know if you walk in High Street and you see you know, your favorite shop and you feel the feeling, oh, you know, come and get me. But they don't really do that. They just say, you know, it's a form. So the problem is not with the thing. So in a way, to me, what meditation is about is about, in a way, deep grasping. So that we open our hand and then there is movement. I can hold the thing, I can look at it, I can use it. It can also move, it can also go. So there is more freedom, there is more movement. And that's why I think what we have to see with this process, looking at the process of grasping, to see that generally the first thing we do is to identify. As soon as there is grasping, there is identification. Me, mine, I. And then next, there is solidification around what you identify with and grasp at, then isolation around it, 
So limitation of yourself, and then, which is worse, a magnification of what you grasp at. This is what is the most problematic, is that as soon as we grab something, grasp at it, in attraction or rejection, we make it bigger than ourselves. This, I think, is very important to see that. So then we feel helpless. This is a thing to see, that there is no creative possibility when we do that. And so in a way, what happens, often I feel we go in two streams with the grasping. We go either in the stream of exaggeration, of the goodness of the thing, or the badness of it. As soon as there is grasping, there is exaggeration generally. You know, this is fantastic. I want it. I want it yesterday. If I don't have it, <gasps> I can't live another minute. Or, <gasps> this is so awful. This is so terrible. I can't stand it. Another second. I think this is important to see. Creative engagement for me is meeting whatever arises. If it's beautiful, you meet it. If it's terrible, you meet it. But you creatively engage with it. As it is. And not this kind of huge thing, this exaggeration. Some time ago, some years ago, when my uh, grandmother was still alive and she was really weakening, I mean, she was more than 90. <coughs> and the last few years, she was really weakening. And one day, my mother left uh, for two days to, and to have a break, and I was taking care of grandma. And so I, I, you know, I put her to bed the night before, everything seemed okay, so the next morning I go, you know, let's see how grandma is, and I go there, and she looked a little disturbed, she was up, and so I kind of thought, what is going on? But she wanted breakfast, so I go to the kitchen, I come back, and then I see... There was feces all over the place. I had walked in it, and it was everywhere, on her, on the floor, on my shoes. And my first feeling <gasps> was, <gasps> this is terrible. I mean, how can I cope with this? I've never encountered that experience. And straight away I saw there was, this was not going to help me, to go into panic, to be to anxiety, blaming, was not going to help me. So I come back to awareness, to stability, and I thought, what is the wise and compassionate things to do here? And I realized to do one thing at a time, and just deal with it as it was, without exaggeration. So I cleaned my grandma, then put her to have breakfast and I cleaned everything else and in an hour it was done. And I saw the difference then to this exaggeration and then we overwhelm to, okay, this is rather difficult and unexpected, but yes, you can deal with it. That's the thing we have to see, the exaggeration generally, this is a problem, stops the creative potential. And there is no another thing that happens with the grasping is what I would call the proliferation. We proliferate. Generally, when we grasp, we proliferate. 
And often that always not. I have a problem. This is my problem. This is a terrible problem. I will have this problem forever after. And you see, as soon as we say always or ever after, we're actually saying every second, every minute, every day, every week, every year. So of course this is terrible. That something lasts like that. But it won't. Nothing, nothing, <coughs> however terrible, can last like that. Everything changes. So we want to see how when we proliferate very much in this always, ever, or whatever way we proliferate and spin, to see what we add to the situation. And again, we go very much into, when we, as soon as we proliferate, we generally go into abstraction. And the problem with abstraction is that we cannot have creative potential in abstraction. This is a problem as soon as we proliferate. We're not here in this experience, in this moment, or what can I do here with my ability, with my skill, with my being. We are in abstraction. And in abstraction, there is very little experiential creative potential. So I think it's important to, to notice the two movements that happen, the exaggeration, the proliferation. So now, let's look in terms of contact in the experience. And this is something you can play with during the rest of the week, if you want. And this is to look at contact. To me, this is one of the, I could only say one of the fun of playing uh, with, uh, in a retreat. I know it should be very serious, but personally I think, you know, why not? Contact. Visual contact. What do we do when we see something? Do we just see it and creatively engage with it and creatively respond to it? Or do we grasp at it and exaggerate it or proliferate with it? This is interesting to look. When, I mean, here there is not possibly so many things, but still one can kind of try in a little with kind of minor things like trees and grasses and people and whatever, cows, and, but it's kind of a little limited. I feel when we go home, and especially if you live in a town, then there is a great opportunity for experimentation. To go to your favorite shop and say, mm, you know, and to see how can you see things differently, how can you be what you see differently, things you like, things you dislike. Can you, can you play with it? Can actually, this is the, 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 the challenge, and it's not always easy. Can we, can we see something totally present to it, aware of it, and creatively engage with it? This is, I think, is a question. I remember one day I was on a long retreat, private retreat, and it was uh, lots of snow, and I went to walk in the snow, and there was this beautiful white birch, very beautiful, straight, beautiful white bark. It was, every day I went. And so I would, you know, stand in front, you know, commune with the white birch tree. 
And it was very interesting when I was creatively engaged with it, just looking at the tree, looking at the color, the shape, being present to it. And when I started to proliferate, the moment where I started to grasp, ooh, I like this tree. It would be nice to have this tree in my garden. (laughs) How could I find it in Bordeaux? What about that garden shop? And then I was not with the beauty of the tree anymore. I was gone. I was somewhere else. It was very interesting to see that movement. How, in a way, how long could I keep with the creative engagement? When was the kind of the grasping started? But another thing with visual object which is interesting is that sometimes, I think it's fair enough. If you grasp at a visual object that is there, fair enough. But often what we do is we grasp at a visual object that is not there. So that actually there is two visions with a double vision. And I notice that, for example, with my husband, Stephen, He's also a meditation teacher. And we used to have a guest room with lots of uh, old furniture when we first moved to our new house. And I could see the moment when he would move from seeing just the room as it was, fairly functional and okay, to comparing it to how it should be. And it would look different. I could see when the kind of the, the grasping and the Ah, if only it was like this. And straight away there would be this liking of what was there. We could still be used by guests and whatever. That was very interesting. And I've seen myself doing that. Looking at something which I think is not adequate. And next to it, having something which would be so much better. And then that feeling of kind of, uh, something is not right. Not being able to creatively engage with what is there. So, I mean, of course, it doesn't mean we cannot change the room, and by now the room has been changed. And so now it doesn't do it anymore. Now it's, it's satisfaction. The few things can still be improved. I can see him looking at the bookcase or whatever it is. But just to see, to me, this is what is interesting. What happened? What do we add, you know, to the experience? Or if I think also, you know, we're looking for something. You want to be there, but is not there. And that's what we did, Stephen and I, recently. We had this wonderful experience of nothingness, you could see, of no seeing. When we were in, uh, in South Africa at the end of our uh, teaching trip, uh, we took my mother and my sister to an animal park, a big one, the Kruger Park. And we had seen the four major sites as animal, but one was lacking, leopard. We had not seen leopard yet. Personally, I'm not so keen in seeing, seeing killing machines, but Stephen absolutely wanted to see a leopard. So, okay, one day we could see the pig where it's supposed to be on that road. So we get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, get in the car, and we go Nothing. But it was interesting because I could feel myself nearly imagining leopards in all these trees. They were supposed to be in such a tree and not that tree and whatever. It was very interesting. This desire to see something. And the fact that it was not there whatsoever. 
it was very interesting. It was a very interesting experience. And then just later we just left and here was a leopard, but this is another story. We've 20 cars around it. Talk of wildlife. <laughs> then we have the ears. So we have ears and we listen to sounds. And what do we do when we come in contact with sounds? And that's why tomorrow I'm going to uh, encourage you to do listening meditation. Because I think this is very interesting to listen. When we, when we hear sound, what do we do? Again, sometimes we exaggerate their goodness or their badness. It doesn't mean we cannot appreciate music or sound, of course. I think it's very beautiful. But to see, what do we do? What do we add? How do we proliferate? And what is interesting with listening meditation is that actually it can help you to go inside the most powerful sound and actually not be disturbed at all. I have done this several times. But there is a really powerful sound. And instead of thinking, oh, this is too powerful, this is so horrible, can it stop? If actually you go inside it, actually you feel it as this amazing vibration, and you have a very different experience to that sound. And the thing which is interesting to look in terms of our daily life and sound, it's words. And how we grasp at words and how we're very influenced by words. And how I think it's very important to look at that. I remember one day I was having a friend for lunch. And the whole time of the lunch, she said negative thing about somebody, a common friend. And by the end of it, I was starting to really feel, yes, you know, kind of badly about that person who had not done anything to me. But just listening. Suddenly I felt wait a minute. It's like I'm grasping at what he said without, you know, a wisdom or compassion. So we're kind of looking at how do we hear? How does that, you know, color us? Or ancient words. I think that is interesting again. To look at how sometimes we grasp at, at a word in the past. Maybe 10 years ago, maybe a year ago, maybe a few months ago. Recently, I had a friend. She came to me and we were talking. She seemed a little unhappy. And I said, but what is happening? What is going on? She said, oh, my husband. He says, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, he said unfriendly things to me. So we tried to talk a little. I said, but how often does he do it? Like, you know, every day? She said, no, 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 no. I said, you know, once a week. She said, not really. I said, but what's the problem? She said, well, you see, he said something to me about, you know, the washing and the irony. And this is really painful. And, you know, now whenever I go into the washing and the irony, I'm feeling so upset, you know, so stressed. And so we talk a little more, what can she do about this, that, and another, that. Finally, I said, but, I mean, when did he say that? Like, I mean, last week? She said, no, 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 a year ago. And I thought, you know, I felt very sad because of the pain she had had. From, instead of in a way trying to address it in a creative way with uh, her husband, in which she kind of caught the word and kind of kept them very tight. I mean, 
she could not even move with it. It kind of, there was this kind of, but hopefully we talked and hopefully that was a little helpful and she was thinking about ways she could talk about it and various things like that. So we need to look, how can we hear words and creatively engage with them to see what does it mean? Can I do something with this? Can I, does it mean something to me? Or is it something which actually I don't need to identify with in any way? Because sometimes people say things to you which have nothing to do with you, nothing at all. And sometimes you think, this is me, this is not you. You know, this is them. So I think it's very important to see, does this mean something about my condition, something I could work on, or is it something which has nothing to do with me. That's why, in a way, if we can creatively engage and not grasp so quickly, we can look in different ways about words. Then there are moods, and then we smell, we smell food. Here, we maybe what you left here is that, mm, maybe toward lunchtime, you, mm, mm, they smell nice. Mm, what are they cooking? Mm, I'll have a lot of it. You know, and then, you know, you go in the queue and you think, oh, I hope they don't take too much of it. It smells so good. You know, and then you see it and mm, it smells nice. So you put lots in your plate. And then you start to eat it. And it tastes weird. <laughs> How can I get rid of it? <laughs> or if it tastes good, you think, oh, how can I have a little more? Is it just, of course. And when we eat whatever we eat, and we like to smell something good, but to see what do we do with the smell? If it's a la- smell we like, if it's a smell we dislike, what do we do with it? How do we work with it? Then there is a tongue, and what we taste. And that, again, you can play with this here, because you, you, know, you have uh, people cook for you, maybe food you used to, maybe not, and you know, how are you with the taste? You kind of grasp at it, or you creatively engage with it. And what is interesting with the taste is to look at it in turn, because it makes us see something in terms of new and old experience, that sometimes we grasp at the newness of the experience. And that, I think, can become, again, problematic. And this we can really see with the taste. Let's say you have not tasted something for a long time, your favorite dish, you have not tasted it in 10 years, and suddenly you taste it. This happened to me with couscous. I went, you know, after 10 years in Korea, I went to eat couscous in Paris, and it was the most fantastic couscous I ever had in my life. It was wonderful. So of course I had to go again the next day to have the same couscous in the same place, same time, and it was, it was okay. But it was not, oh, because it was not new anymore. And I think we have to see sometimes, and I think this is also happening with meditative experience. You have a new meditative experience, and it feels amazing, because you've never experienced it before. And then you have it again. And it's not going to be as exciting the second time because it's not new anymore. I think it's important to see that sometimes. And to see how, in a way, can we appreciate things as they are 
new or not? How can we be freshly? I think that's what this old saying is about. Each day is a good day, in a way. To kind of, what, what is it I can see in this day? Even if it resembles so much the day before, how can I be, in a way, newly in it in a different way? But not wanting that excitement. And then there is a body, and there is tactile sensation. And I think you might have experienced some of this in the last two days together with the city. And in a way, how are we with sensation? Pleasurable sensation and painful sensation. And that's what I think is important to see, that if we grasp at them, we can again stop the creative engagement, especially with pain. If, we, if there is pain, the more we grasp, the more actually we add to it. And this is something I learned too when I had pain for some time I was ill. And I would take painkiller and painkiller and nothing would happen. And then finally, as a meditation teacher, it should have been relatively obvious. It was easier and much less painkiller to just be with it. And just in a way to do like in meditation, to just be with it, to just just let it pass. And it was so much less kind of tense. It was just more waves passing through me that I could be with it in a much better way than when I tense and I said, this must not happen, and how can I get rid of it? And, and then there was lots of tension. So again, trying to look at pleasurable and <coughs> pleasurable sensation, how can I creatively engage with it? And then there are thoughts. And I think this is important to see that we come in contact with thought. One minute, one second, we don't have a thought, and the next second we have it. So we come in contact with a thought. And when we come in contact with a thought, what do we do? Do, do we grasp at it, identify with it, proliferate with it, exaggerate with it, or do we just see, okay, what is this thought? Is it a true thought? Is this true? What, I think this is sometimes useful to ask. Is this true, what I'm telling myself? If you're telling yourself, because you're frustrated or something is really difficult, something is not working, and you say, this is hopeless. Everything is hopeless. Nothing will ever work again. Actually, when you have that thought, you are paralyzed. Nothing. You feel totally fixed. This has happened to me. You feel fixed. You feel, you feel in a way, in the grip of the thought. So you add the contact with the thought, you identify with it, you magnify it, and then you are in its grip. And it stops any movement. Instead of kind of seeing that, okay, this is a bit frustrating. It's really not working the way I want it to work, but I am not hopeless. I have potential, I have quality, I have ability that I can exercise. This, I think, is what we have to see when we can, I think, thought. Because they saw light. I mean, what is a thought? A thought is just a firing in the brain. And so, trying to see, okay, what do I do with this thought? How can I creatively engage with this thought? 
So in a way, the problem is not with the contact, because I think this is being human, being in contact, and I think this is one of the joy of life, the fact that we are in contact, we are in relationship with whatever comes to us and within us. But it's with the grasping, with the reducing, with the fixing, with the abstracting, which in a way stops us from being throwing more, creatively engaging more with the flow of our condition. So in a way, trying to see how can meditation help us with this creative engagement, this creative response. Then there is feeling. And tonight I just want to look at feeling in terms of what we call in the meditation, feeling unpleasant, pleasant, and neutral. And tomorrow I will now look at different type of feelings, of fear, etc. So, in a way, what do we do? When we have a contact, nearly straight away we have a feeling. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. I like this, I don't like this, this is so-so. And in a way, what do we do with this kind of feeling tone of experience? Because it's generally very automatic. So with pleasant, if we have a pleasant experience, the first thing is that we think it's normal. So we don't actually really know it fully. But we generally want more of it, we want to continue, and we want to repeat it. And this is what I find interesting. And I don't say that anymore so much. Is when you know you have friends for a weekend or family or you have a, a nice time. And then when the nice time is finished and you say, let's do this again. And you basically say, let's do the same thing so we will have the same pleasant feeling. And generally things don't happen. I mean, you can have other pleasant feeling, other pleasant encounter, or whatever it is, but not exactly the same one. Because generally you cannot exactly repeat the same condition. This is interesting to look at. Then another thing to look at is what I call the if-only so that not being with what is pleasant now, but actually see, to grasping at the image of the pleasant that should be. Again, I'm not saying that one should not endeavor to create pleasant, positive condition. But it is interesting as soon as you have that grasping at that image of what should be better. If only I had this, if only this were like this, then it would be pleasant, then it would be, I would be happy. It's kind of, and again, that comparison with the abstract image, instead of looking what is, you know, what are the possibilities for happiness in this moment. And that's why I think what is important with what is pleasant is to be aware of it, to know it. When you feel fine, at peace, happy, joyful, even for a few minutes, really know it, really experience it with a creative awareness to feel it in your body, to feel it in your heart, to feel it in your soul, to really know it. Because in that you also know this too will pass and it will be replaced by something else at some point. But appreciating it, knowing it will make you know that when unpleasant feeling happens, they know it is not always unpleasant. Time to time there are difficulty, 
and pleasantness, time to time, they are happiness and joyfulness. So the way to, to, to see both, to be aware of both is important. And so the way to creatively engage with it. Then there is unpleasant, unpleasant feeling thoughts. And what do we do with unpleasant? This is immediate, generally. We push away, we reject, we don't want it, I don't want this. And we magnify it. As soon as we do this, I don't want this. We magnify it. And it then dominates us. And the most painful thing we can do, I think, is when you say, I cannot stand this. When you say, ah. Because then you really make it like, ah. Well, generally, we can. We can. I know it can be very painful, but we can stand it. We can go through it. And I remember I was teaching a retreat. And I had a problem with my sciatica. And it was a Zen retreat, so we were walking for 10 minutes indoors, so I walked with everybody. And then at the end of the 10 minutes, I sit. For the next 30 minutes, I'm going to ring the bell. And I sit, and my leg is on fire. I never had such pain in my life. It was so painful. It was throbbing. It was, I never had this ever. And then I realized I was stuck in a way. I had to stay there. I could not leave the people say, you know, I'll come back later. <laughs> I had to stay there. I had to ring the bell. I had to sit there. And I thought, if I just keep with, I cannot, st- I cannot, I cannot stand this. I, I would not, st- I mean, it would be like, you know, 10 years, this 30 minutes. So instead I went inside, like I was saying to the inside, the sensation, go inside it, and to feel it. And it was this amazing experience of sensation. And the whole time I feel I've never been so focused in my life. (laughs) I was totally there, totally there, and it was fine. I could be with it. And then at the end of the 30 minutes, I rang the bell, and I want to take some painkillers. <laughs> you don't have to. You have to also be creative. You have to be right. So then to see this creative engagement doesn't mean that you don't do something about it. But it's kind of, kind of trying to, to play with it, trying to experiment, trying to look at it. And then there is in a way what I would call the fear of the unpleasant. This is, again, can be very painful because fear is generally in the future. I mean, if something is very dangerous in front of you, I mean, when this happened to me, somebody kind of attacked me. And it was interesting because my first reaction, you know, the, the guy was starting to beat me up, and my first reaction was to think, can I run and jump out of the window? And I thought, uh uh-uh. I am on the second floor, this is dangerous, bad idea. And the second thing was, you know, this, you know, I was much smaller than the person. Then I, I, I called help, 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 until somebody came and the thing stopped. So I was saved. But it was interesting that moment, you know, I was very afraid. And in a way, within that moment, I could find the one thing at that moment within the circumstances, because sometimes, of course, the circumstances don't work, where I could say help, and then help could come. But I think often when there is fear, 
It is fear of something ahead, something future, something that has not happened yet. And so then your creative potential cannot arise because of the fear, because it's, again, abstract. I had a friend who for 30 years of his life was afraid something would happen. And it was constantly at the back of his mind. If this happened, I will fall apart, my life will be finished, it will be terrible. And then I met him. And he looked a little strange. And I said, but what, what's the matter? And he said, oh, you know the thing I feared for so long? It happened. And I said, and? And he said, I'm totally fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm sad and I'm... But I am fine. My life is not finished. I can, I'm okay. And he said, but why was I so afraid all these years? Because it was abstract. In the abstraction, his creative potential could not deal with the situation. So now it's okay again. Look at that. And then there is mutual feelings. And we could maybe call it boredom. And boredom has a very bad press, I think, especially, I think, in the Western world. Boredom. I am bored. This is bad, you know. And I can see with my, uh, my niece, she, in the summer, because I take care of her in the summer, she's eight years old, and in the summer, I don't know why, she started to have these attacks of boredom, I mean, real attacks. She was getting really amazing state. I am bored. It was like, you know, I had to do something about it. <laughs> Straight away. And the second, first time it happened, I kind of thought, you know, I did not really know what to do. And I had a friend with me who really was good with her and it really helped. And the second time she did it, I said, no way. If you're bored, no way. I don't, you know, I take you to your parents. So I took her back. And after that, she ended up being born again. <laughs> anyway, this is another story. But what is interesting with boredom, I think, is the fact that we seem to think it's bad to be in neutral. We, we seem to think something must happen. Something exciting must happen. So there must be, I don't know why, but actually... If we really look at what I would call a neutral situation, a neutral feeling, nothing is happening. Nothing good is happening, but nothing bad is happening. And when we have this neutral feeling, this neutral experience when not much is happening, can actually turn it around and say, this is a time we can just rest. And I think meditation at that level can be very helpful to just, you know, when suddenly nothing happened, just to sit there and just to be with nothing happening and to rest in it. To really just come back to the moment, come back to the breath, come back to life in the moment. So in a way, what I would uh, encourage you to do the rest of the time together, to, in a way, try to play with this creative awareness and try, in a way, to play, not to have a a certain contact or a certain feeling, but play with it. When I come into contact, what happens when I have certain feelings? 
unpleasant, pleasant, neutral. What happened? How can you be creatively engaged with them? So that's what I wanted to say today. Is there any questions or comments? it now, because I was planning to talk more about this tomorrow evening, but I'll talk about it now. You see, I think there is different kind of thought, and I'll talk more about this now, but I think, in a way, we have to be careful in meditation, that we are not saying not to have any thought, because I think it's natural to have thought. It's just, you know, our brain functioning. But I think, to me, the problem is when we have more what I would call a repetitive type of thought. You see, you have a thought, and it repeats itself, and it goes round and round and round. That I would not call a creative thought. And often we have a thought, and we have thought it so many times before, and it just goes round, and we don't go anywhere. What I would suggest is that if you have a subject, a theme in your life, which is kind of important, and so as you sit in meditation, it comes up again and again. Then I would say, do you look at this once a day and do what I call meditative creative thinking. So for 30 minutes, you, you devote yourself to this theme. It could be whatever kind. But, so the focus is on the theme. You really look at the theme. But the inquiry, the experiential inquiry, is the fact that you do it in a different way. You think about something you have never thought before. And you try to tell yourself, okay, I have this situation, I have this in my life, I must make this choice. And instead of kind of going to what I would call this, oh, but what if this happens and that happens and that will happen, oh, and then, and kind of generally, you know, to kind of sit there with the situation and try in a way to sit in it more multidimensional reality and see, can I think something I have never thought before about this? How would somebody else think about this? And so in order to try to think anew, to try to be creative, and then to really think in different ways. You can look at different, you know, I could look at it this way, I could look at it that way, and kind of look in, in, in different ways to open it up. And then at the end of the certain minute, just to leave it. And you know the next day you can take it up again. And I think that is kind of useful. And I know for myself, sometimes what I do is that I, uh, in daily life, more in daily life, it doesn't seem to work as well in uh, meditation. Because <laughs> you see, I sit in meditation and I'm a writer. So I sit in meditation, suddenly I have that fantastic idea about my book. And so I go on and I think, yes, yes, this is fantastic. It's a new idea. I've never had it before. Yes, yes, you know, I get very excited. But what is interesting is that, you know, I have this amazing thought and it's very 
seemingly creative and everything. And then I write it down. And then generally, I don't use it, I find. It's, fun. it's funny. I mean, it's very creative. You know, one can try to have it and see later it can be creative. I always write it down. Because otherwise, you're trying to remember the creative idea. You know, and you try to remember, to remember, to remember. So it gets kind of fairly busy. But what I find I do in daily life when I write is just to have the subject, the theme I want to think about. So I think a little about it, and then I let it be. And it seems to then bubble up inside me. And then later when I sit and I start to write, then it comes up, and then it becomes very creative. So I think there are many different ways to have creative thinking. We can do it when we sit on the cushion, but I think also in daily life. But sometimes I think we think that creating thinking is thinking a lot. Personally, actually, I would say the contrary. Creative thinking is thinking a little. Thinking a little, let it rest. Thinking a little, let it rest. That's what generally I would suggest. Good. So, thank you very much. Now there is some walking before the final sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.